get all wired up here for you. I guess the best way to get rid of a missionary on campus is to send them east on Placidos Boulevard Road on a motor on a bicycle. Is that right? You and I live in a tremendous day, a tremendous age, an age of great opportunity. And I want to try today in some way to communicate to you the opportunities that lie ahead of your steps. But I know that communication isn't easy. In fact, I heard of a president of a large university that wanted to communicate some important information to his staff, and he sent out a memo, and this is what the memo read. Tomorrow, at approximately 9 p.m., Halley's Comet will be visible in this area, an event which occurs only once every 75 years. Have all employees assemble in the parking lot, and I will explain this rare phenomenon to them. In case of rain, we will not be able to see anything. So assemble them in the cafeteria, where I will show them films on it. The vice presidents to the deans. By executive order of the university president, tomorrow at 9 a.m., Haley's Comet will appear above the parking lot. If it rains, assemble all personnel in the cafeteria where the phenomenon will occur, something that only happens once every 75 years. The deans to the faculty, by executive order of the university president tomorrow at 9 a.m., the phenomenal Halley's Comet will appear in the cafeteria. In case of rain in the parking lot, the president will give an order, something that happens only once every 75 years. The faculty to the teaching assistants. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., the university president will appear in the cafeteria with Haley's Comet, something which occurs once every 75 years. And if it rains, the president will give an order and will order the comet into the parking lot. Teaching assistants to the students. When it rains tomorrow at 9 a.m., the phenomenal 75-year-old university president, <laughs> accompanied by his girlfriend Haley, <laughs> will drive his comet through the parking lot. <laughs> Sometimes when you try to communicate, the message doesn't get across. And I hope that will not be the case today. We are about to enter the last decade of the 20th century. Futurists writing about what is happening write with some very dim scenarios. Technology is advancing at phenomenal rates. We all know that. At the same time, we're experiencing moral decline in the Western world such as we've not known. The gap between the rich and the poor is increasing every day. Religious fanaticism is growing rampant in the world, especially in Islam, along with radical nationalism. Monolithic structures, which were once seen as, in, as almost impossible to penetrate, are now beginning to crumble. Look at what's happening in Russia and Eastern Europe, how China was trying to respond to what was happening in their country. I am so grateful to God that he is in control of all of these events. We are asking Dr. Provost to go to Russia to do a survey trip to 
ask the question, how should send respond to the opportunities of today? Every day you open your newspaper and you read things which were impossible to even think. This could be the last decade of history before the Lord returns. I don't know. That's God's business. At the same time, in North America, sociologists tell us that the present generation of North Americans is given over to radical self-interest. Leisure seems to be the call of the day. What will be the monuments of our society? Probably the new domed stadiums. I read a paper recently by a missiologist from Canada who made this statement. He even went so far to say, we should not try to recruit North Americans for the mission movement because they're given over to selfish interests. There was a book written not too long ago that said radical self is going to destroy the very culture in which we live. Now, I don't believe that. I believe there are those who are willing to take the focus off of themselves and to give themselves for the sake of others. At the same time, the generation that we live and you live, we have the realistic possibility of reaching every people group in the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the realistic possibility of seeing the church of Jesus Christ established an evangelizing, believing church among every people. Missiologists, demographers tell us it's possible. But the question is, will it happen? Will it happen? Because it's only possible if we have a massive mobilization of resources such as we've never seen in the history of the church. God is moving in a great way in the two-thirds world. Missionaries from Africa, Asia, and Latin America are joining the great missionary force to complete the task. But at the same time, as you and I sit here today, with the great opportunities that we have, two-thirds of the five billion people in our world have never really heard with understanding who Jesus is and what his claims are on their life. And the tragedy of it is, one half of the world's population, 2.5 billion plus, cannot hear. Cannot hear. There is no believing church among them where they can hear the good news from their neighbor. Many of these people live among the Muslims of our world. The southern part of the Philippines send is working with other missions to establish a Muslim convert church among Muslim people that don't necessarily want to hear our message. They're not asking us to come. If we're going to penetrate the, the great unreached world, it's going to be the Muslim, the Hindu, the Buddhist, the communist world, the Shinto world. While there are vast opportunities, the question is, can we and will we respond to the task? Another thing is happening in our world which is significant and, significant, and that's the move to the cities. In this decade, the last 10 years, one billion people have moved from countryside to city. 
the greatest migration in the history of the earth? Where are the urban pioneers that will go to the developing world where the people are poor and live in the squalor of poverty and disease for Jesus' sake? I want to encourage you today to march to a different drum, a different drummer. Turn with me to Luke chapter 9, please, if you have your Bible. And I want you, to, want you to hear the words of the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 9. If we are going to take seriously the opportunities of the hour, the openings in Eastern Europe, the challenges of China, the great fortress of Islam, it will take some new pioneers. It will take some people that are willing to take some radical steps for Jesus. It will take countercultural people. It will take people who are willing to lose themselves. Listen to what Jesus said. Familiar words. Verse 23. He said to them all, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit his very self? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. And I tell you the truth, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What will it take to penetrate this world of ours? It will take those who take seriously Jesus' words. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break through and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can destroy nor thieves break through and steal. For where? your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let me ask you a very important question today. What is the supreme motive of your life? Where's your treasure? Where's your treasure? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If someone was to ask you the question, what would you like to have written about you when your life is finished? What do you want to accomplish? What would it be? Jesus said, Set your affection on things above. Seek first my kingdom. Listen to the words again as Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. I believe that if we're serious about Jesus' words, the essence of following Jesus is getting involved in his priorities. And there's no question where Jesus' priorities lie. He told us his priorities. Before he left this earth, he gave us a commission to make disciples of all nations, to preach the gospel to every creature, to declare repentance and remission of sins in Jesus' name among all people. He told us, and the Word of God gives us a picture in Revelation chapter 5, 
of what he wants to see happen. That in that completed body there will be some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation that will be redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. will be a kingdom of priests to serve our God. You cannot be serious about following Jesus and not get involved in his great command and great commission. Are we willing to do what we sang in the song? What price will it take to get involved with a task? Winston Churchill, speaking to Britain during the dark days of World War II, gave these words, we need blood, tears, toil, and sweat. It's easy to be enthusiastic about the task, but it won't be completed by enthusiasm. It will only be completed by sacrifice. May I suggest to you that if we're serious, there will be prices to pay. There's a spiritual price to pay. If we are going to penetrate Islam, the spiritual battle will be intense. Jesus said of the disciples as they were trying to cast out a demon, this demon will only come out by prayer and fasting. How many of us know what it means to pray and fast? How many of us are willing to pay the spiritual price to penetrate an unreached people? It will take pruning. It will take hard work. It will take blood, sweat, and tears. It will take cross-bearing. Suffering is the normal lot of the harvest worker. Patrick Johnston, as he thought about the task, said these words, There is a basic principle that there can be no blessing without bleeding, no crown without a cross, no life without death. Self-denial sounds radical in a world of self-interest, but that's what it will take to follow Jesus. It may take a physical price. The early missionaries that went to the shores of Africa, majority of them didn't make it. They lasted from two months to six months. Many of them died of malaria and other African diseases. But now there's a blooming church in Africa. They had to pay the price to see it happen. No one guarantees physical safety in our world. We live in a world of terrorism. As a mission organization, we tell every new candidate, we have, a, we have a policy that says we will not pay ransom. That's a realistic world in which we live. AIDS is rampant in Africa and other places. There's no guarantee of physical safety in obedience to Jesus Christ. It will take those who are willing to pay a cultural price. You don't become bonded in Asia overnight. You don't win the confidence of Muslim people overnight. You have to pay the price to live, to learn a language, to understand culture, to rub shoulders, to be there, to earn the right to be heard. We had two single ladies who retired from Japan, went into a town to plant a church and stayed there until it was established 20 years. And when they left, the Japanese brethren said, don't leave us, you're part of us. They had lived and loved until they had lost the color of their face in the eyes of the people. No, short terms won't do it. Short terms are great. You ought to get involved in summer in short terms. But if we're serious about the task, it will take some people that will pay the price to get it done. What am I calling you to? In a spirit, in an age, 
of self-indulgence. I want you to listen to the words of Jesus. Come after me. Deny yourself. I don't guarantee you anything except sacrifice. But that's the way of the master. That's the way of the master. Is the servant greater than his master? I ask you to give your life to a life of sharing rather than accumulating. How many times have you ever seen on the TV, give your things away, don't buy anything new. We live in a world that's accumulating. We need people who are willing to give. I ask you to give your life in obscurity for Jesus' sake. Men may never know where you go and what you do. But the Master knows. I ask you to be willing to say to Jesus, Lord Jesus, send me anywhere for your sake. Because there's an interesting thing that Jesus says in verse 24. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. A great Indian evangelist by the name of Bhak Singh traveled over the Himalaya, Himalaya mountains every summer to Tibet to do mission and evangelism work. He was a man who preached the gospel to those who had never heard. And one day as he was coming back from Tibet, he met a man along the road and it was late in the year and the snows were coming. And he met a man along the road who had fallen and he was covered with snow. And he was walking with another man and they brushed the snow away and as they listened to the man's body, they heard a heartbeat. And Bok Singh said to his companion along the road, let's pick him up and carry him into town. The companion said, don't be silly. We will need to save our life. Leave this man here, we need to get to town. Bok Singh said, you go ahead. But he reached down, he lifted up that man, he began to carry him, and then the warmth of boxing's body entered the other man, and the two of them made it to town. And just before they got to town, they found another mound of snow, and brushing it aside, they found the body of the man who said, you fool, why, if you give yourself for this person, you'll lose your life. But he did not have a heartbeat. He was dead. In trying to save his life, he had lost it. Jesus says there's an irony in service. The only way to really make an impact is to lose your life for the kingdom. But when you do, you'll find it. You'll find it. You'll find reward. You'll find satisfaction. You'll find meaning. Robert Moffat, great Scottish missionary to South Africa, of another generation wrote words that may sound funny to us today, but listen to what he wrote. My album is in savage breast, where passion reigns and darkness rests, without one ray of light. To write the name of Jesus there, to point to worlds both bright and fair, is all my soul's delight. When you get done with life, what will really last? 
I want to take you on a journey with me to a little place that you've never heard of. It's an obscure town in the Philippines called Trejos Marinduque. It's the last town on the little island where we have the privilege of working. It is the wild west town of this island. There are more horses than cars in Torrejos. It doesn't even have a McDonald's. When we worked in Torrejos, we upset the ecology of the town. We brought in a car, they had one gas station. And every time we go over to fill up the gas, the gas station would be out of gas. It was, you might say, the end of the world. When we moved to Trejos, there was not one believer in that town. There had been a person who accepted the Lord Jesus in Manila, who was from that town, that told us about it. There had been opportunities to go through that town before and pass out literature, but not one believer in the town of Trejos. Population, 20,000 people. We moved into Trejos and began to go house to house, meeting people in the marketplace, making friends. Two years later, when my wife and I left Trejos, there was a small, struggling, alive church of 45 people. There's a church in Trejos today. My friends, if I do not do anything else in life, I have planted the seed of life that shall never go away. And my life has been worth it. Just in one little town, there are hundreds and thousands of trejoses in our world. Some in booming cities, some in remote places. But Jesus gave us the way of making the change. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. God wants to plant people in his world to demonstrate who Jesus Christ is. God wants to take people who are willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'll be a seed to be planted for you in another area. I want to tell you something. Invest your life in that which counts and outlast life itself. Right now, in Send International, we have 180 positions to be filled in Asia and Europe. There are tremendous opportunities today, but it will only be filled by radical changing of priorities in our life. I want you to meet another man. His name is Mr. Sosa. He's with the Lord now. When I met Mr. Sosa, he was about 70 years of age. He was almost blind. He had been a school teacher. He lived in the town, another town where we worked in the Philippines. And Mr. Sosa came to me one day before he went home to be with the Lord and asked me a question. A question which penetrated my heart and I've never been able to forget it. He said, Mr. Severn, he said, I've lived in my town all of these years, 70 years. And ever since the time that I became a school teacher, I had a question in my heart how to know God. He was a member of another faith. But he knew it wasn't right. And he said, I wanted to know God. I wanted to know my sins that could be forgiven. 
And he said, Jehovah's Witness came to our town, and I attended their meetings. He said, I went to their Bible studies, and I listened to what they had to say. But he said, something was wrong. It wasn't right. And he said, the Mormons came to my town, and I listened to what they had to say. And something was wrong, and it wasn't right. And he said, Herbert W. Armstrong followers came to our town. Boy, you see, the cults are active. And then he said there was an indigenous sect in the Philippines called the Iglesia Ni Cristo, which has doctrine much like the Jehovah's Witness. They came to town. He said, I listened to every one. Something was wrong. He said, but then in the 1960s, your mission came to town and had a tent meeting. And I attended every night. And I listened to the message. And he said, it was right. I knew it was right. And he said, I came to personal faith in Jesus Christ, but now I want to ask you, Mr. Severin, why did it take you so long? Why did it take you so long? Why did those who don't have the truth get there first? Why did I have to go through all of those years of wondering and waiting? Why did it take so long? I believe the world is full of men like Mr. Sosa. An 80-year-old Japanese man is walking by a little sign in the church, just outside of the church in Japan. He's an unbeliever. Every day he goes past the sign. Every day they put up a new, a new little verse, Bible verse, and he reads the Bible verse. After a while, his curiosity is so great that he knocks on the door of the church. There are two single missionaries serving in that place. He says, I've been reading your Bible verse. And he said, when I was young, before the war, Second World War now, before the Second World War, I had attended a Sunday school and that Bible verse out there was a verse that I memorized. Eighty years old now. And he went in and he said, I know that I am going to die and I am going to have to meet God and I don't know him. Can you tell me how to know him? Eighty years old, coming to faith. Someone had to plant a seed. A seed that took 80 years to grow. But somebody else had to be there to harvest that seed. Jesus says, if we are going to penetrate our world, here's his formula. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. Follow me. For in doing so, you will find life itself. What does it mean to take up the cross to follow Jesus? When the Lord Jesus went to Gethsemane, before he went to the cross, he prayed. Great drops of blood came down his forehead. And you remember his prayer. Father, if it be your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. I believe taking up the cross of Jesus in simple terms means obedience to the will of God. Radically saying to God, whatever, Lord, you write the ticket. Now, there are many reasons why sometimes we don't want to obey. We may be like Jonah that says, Lord, whatever you do, don't send me there. But the safest place in all the world 
is in the center of the will of God. Let me give you an illustration from my life. It may surprise you that I come from an alcoholic home. My dad and my mother were separated and divorced when I was two years old. I was brought up by my paternal grandparents. When I was a teenager, I can remember my first experience in driving a car. I was 14 years of age. You don't usually drive a car when you're 14, especially on the freeway in California. I'm sure that's true. But 14 years of age, I was with my dad. And my dad is an alcoholic. And he stopped at the bar on his way home from work. And we stayed at that bar until dad was too drunk to drive. And we got out to the car, and it was about 11 o'clock at night, and he gave me the keys. And he said, you've got to drive home. I'd never driven a car before in my life. I got in that car, and I put it in first gear. Can you imagine going 10 miles in first gear? That's what I did. 10 miles in first gear. Got, got home. I remember going around one corner and the, and the back of the back tire running over the curb. Didn't hit anything. Pulled into the driveway and somehow got th- that thing to stop. My life could have been a disaster by every right. As a teenager, angry with the effects of alcohol on my life, I could have gone in any direction. But at 15 years of age, a friend loved me and introduced me to Jesus. At 15 years of age, I came to know that Jesus loved me and could forgive me and give me new life. And I trusted Christ as my Savior. And I want to tell you something. I owe everything to Him. Everything. How could I do less than say, Lord Jesus, here's my life. You take it and you use it. And I look back now with some gray hair. And God gave me a marvelous wife who came from a Christian home whose, whose parents pray for us every day. And God allowed me to become a missionary. And God allowed me to be in a position of leadership. And I want to tell you something. The safest and best place in all the world is in the center of the will of God. You can trust Him. You can trust Him. I would not take back the direction that I've come. I would not spend my life elsewhere. The Apostle Paul said he died for all, that they which live should not live for themselves, but unto him who loved them and died for them. What is your dream? What is your dream? What is your ambition? Where is your heart? Oh yes, the world can be reached, I believe it. It is possible to penetrate every people group with the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but it will take a generation given radically to Jesus Christ. 
at age 18 at a camp. I took a little faggot and I threw it in the fire and I said, Lord Jesus, here's my life. Take me. Send me. Use me. I'm yours. I'm yours. Lose your life and you will find it. And you will find it. There is no price too great for Jesus. I encourage you today to be different in our world. I encourage you today to stand up and say, I will not live for self. I encourage you today to stand up and say, I will go anywhere that Jesus sends me. I encourage you today to stand up and say, my heart is not in things or money. I encourage you today to stand up and say, Lord Jesus, take me and use me for the world. Let's pray.